Good morning, Hillcrest. Uh, my name is Eric Mitchell. I'm so thankful to be here with you today to open up the Word of God. Our senior pastor, Jim Locke, along with our worship pastor, Brad Woods, and our missions pastor, Dr. Brian Barlow, are on mission in England, making disciples there. And so we are praying for their safe return to us. Uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, Pastor Jim will begin a new sermon series with us. And so what I'd like to do today is conclude uh, the one that we've been in on the subject of discipling. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, either here in worship or in a connect group, what you have noticed is we really serious about making disciples at Hillcrest. Uh, we, we found out what discipling is, why do we do it, uh, who can we disciple, and and where's the best context for that? And then if you are here last week, uh, Pastor Doug Kimsel walked us through how to go about discipling. And what we found uh, over these several weeks is that the great commission of Jesus Christ, the great plan that our master has for us is for disciples to make disciples. That's plan A. Uh, and there is no plan B. And so we need to give ourselves to this in order that we will fulfill the mission that our Lord Jesus has for us. What I'd like to do today is look at a brief passage in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, where the Lord Jesus Christ himself is giving us a very challenging word on paying the cost of discipleship. So we'll be here in Luke chapter 9. And that final section there, verses 57 through 62. You'll have a guide uh, to help you um, fill in some blanks there. Join me as we look at it together. And now because this is a, a standalone sermon on Luke 9, what I'd like to do is kind of give some background as to how we got to verse 57, what we've seen so far. And then read our text and then pray as we seek to unpack this text. Luke chapter 9, in many ways, is a turning point in the gospel of Luke. It begins with the Lord Jesus himself sending out his 12 apostles. Now, we've noted before that while Jesus did speak to crowds on occasions, the lion's share of his time was spent in a small group, the 12 guys, his disciples. Uh, we would call that here in Hillcrest language his connect group. And Jesus, beyond his 12, also had a tiny group or a discipleship group, uh, Peter, James, and John. But we see here in, at the beginning of Luke chapter 9, look at verse 1 with me. The Bible says there, and he, Jesus, called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal and after giving them some very specific instructions, the Bible goes on to say there in verse six that they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And so we see Jesus sending out his disciples to do what he himself did. And so we move on from there to see the feeding of the 5,000 in verses 10 through 17. And after this miracle in verse 18, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but uh, others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he asked them the most important question of all. 
This is the question on which heaven and hell hangs in the balance. Eternity depends on how we answer the question that Jesus asked in verse 20. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. That's the right answer. In Matthew's gospel, he says, you are the son of the living God. Now, please note with me, and this will come up again and again, that there is an inseparable connection between the person of Christ and the work of Christ, between who he is and what he does. Jesus is the Christ, and so he suffers and dies in our place. Look again with me at verse 20. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And the next verse, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the idea that we will explore today because the person of Jesus as the Christ informs our understanding of his work. He suffers and dies. And that's relevant for us because the following verses explain what that means for disciples of Jesus. Look with me at verses 23 through 25 of Luke 9. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The whole point of what I want to say today is simply this. Disciples follow Jesus, no matter what it costs. So if Jesus leads us to repent of sin, we follow him and we repent of sin. And when he leads us to serve in a ministry, we follow him and we serve. When the Lord Jesus leads us to preach to a large crowd, we follow him and we preach, even if we're terrified. And when he leads us to teach in a small group, we follow Jesus and we teach. And more to the point, as we've been talking about discipling, when the Lord Jesus leads us to make disciples, to disciple someone, we follow him. And we do that. Because no matter what it costs, whether it costs us time or money or pride, comfort, ease, disciples follow Jesus. Now, all of that serves as a preface to our sermon passage today. So I'd like to read it and then pray. Look with me at verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we ask that you sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. To the end that we would be edified and you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In November of 1992, Peter Watling lost his hammer while working in a field. Uh, he quickly called a friend with a metal detector to help him find it. And they began to search for the hammer, but instead they found something very, very valuable. Inside an oak chest was a collection of silver spoons, gold jewelry, and coins, all dating back to 4th and 5th century A.D. Watling called in more help, and archaeologists managed to find all sorts of other treasures hidden in that same field, including Roman ladles and serving bowls. The hoard was brought to the British Museum, and it was valued at the museum at over $3.8 million. So costly, they had to call in donors to help purchase it. Now, that hammer was very valuable to Peter. It was worth it for him to search for it. It cost him time. It cost him effort. But look at the payoff. His reward was overwhelmingly worth the cost. Now in Matthew 13, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is just like that. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. So valuable, so precious, so rare that one would be willing to sell everything he has in order to buy the field and have that treasure. That's discipleship. It's costly. Very costly, but always well worth it. And disciples follow Jesus no matter what it costs because disciples know that he is more than worth it. This passage, Luke 9, 57 through 62, teaches us very clearly that following Jesus is costly because in our text we see Jesus encounter three men that I call would-be disciples. And I say would-be, maybe I'm too hard on these guys. There's no indication in the text that they ever actually follow Jesus. They're standing face-to-face -face with the Lord Jesus Christ and all three of them, it appears, are not willing to pay the cost. Does, does that happen today? Do people ever make excuses as to why they can't follow Jesus? Yeah, I think so. What about making disciples? We've talked a lot about discipling, helping others follow Jesus. Do we ever make excuses? Are we ever preoccupied with other things? That we, just, we don't have time to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I think so. And so this, this passage is a word to us about common pitfalls that we may fall into for not being disciples who are making disciples. And so notice with me from this text three things, three things that following Jesus requires of us. One, it requires us to sacrifice. 
Following Jesus requires us to prioritize. And then finally, we'll see that following Jesus requires us to resolve. And the main point of this passage, this time together, is this. Following Jesus is costly, but he is more than worth it. Following Jesus is costly, make no mistake, but he's always more than worth it. First, look, this text teaches me that uh, following Jesus requires us to sacrifice. Look at uh, verse 51. We'll back up to verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now up until this point, Jesus Christ had a very popular ministry in Galilee, which revolved around compelling teaching and powerful miracles. Crowds were everywhere pressing in on him. But now we see that he is embarking on a one-way trip to Jerusalem that will cost him everything, a sacrifice. There is no following Jesus without sacrifice. And here's why I say he's worth it. Jesus always leads from the front. He never says, go over there and do that thing that I'm not willing to do, but you should do it. It's important for you to do it. Do as I say, not as I do. No, he always says, follow me. Do as I do. Imitate my example. Walk right in my footsteps. He always leads from the front. And here we see in Luke 9, 51, a Lord Jesus Christ who is committed to sacrifice. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Do you recall when we were just looking at Luke chapter nine earlier when Peter gave the confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And how we made the connection there that how who Jesus is informs why he does what he does. is the Christ and so he is rejected and he suffers and he's killed and on the third day he's raised. That's sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice of Jesus was made on the cross of Calvary. He sacrificed his life to die in the place of sinners like me and like you. And so the first step in following Jesus is receiving by faith the Lamb of God who was slain for you. If you're here today, and you have not decided to follow Jesus, follow Jesus today. The bad news is that sin has so corrupted your life that you're lost. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's the bad news. The good news is the rest of the verse that says, and the Lord has laid on him, the iniquity of us all. Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ means receiving the free gift of the sacrificial love of God on your behalf. And so if you haven't made that decision, I plead with you to follow Jesus today because he's more than worth it. And may I say, Jesus Christ did not come down on a Thursday and die on a Friday and rise on Sunday and head right back on Monday morning. He didn't just die for you. He lived for you. 
He spent 30 years serving and suffering and giving and sacrificing. Pastor Jim has been taking us through the book of Genesis on Wednesday nights. And we saw uh, recently that Jacob loved Rachel. Just like I love Crystal so much. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel so much that he was willing to serve seven years for her. And our eyes get big like, wow, seven years, long time. Behold, a greater than Jacob is here. The Lord Jesus served 30 plus years every day sacrificing for his bride, the church. Look at verse 58 with me. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Think about this. Jesus Christ sacrificed divine riches and and glory in order to have human poverty and dishonor. Paul will go on to describe this in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Sacrifice. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Aren't you glad that he did? He was determined to make whatever sacrifice was necessary for you. And the point is, he demands the same of anyone who would follow him. Disciples make whatever sacrifice Jesus requires because he is worth it. And so this is why Jesus speaks to all of us and reminds us that following him will require sacrifice. It's gonna cost time. It's gonna cost money. It's gonna cost opportunities. Speaking of time, maybe, maybe it'll cost us Wednesday nights coming to a focus group. Can I just make a plug for focus groups? Is that okay? Can I do that here? Man, we need to come to focus groups, connect groups. It's gonna cost us something. Or even perhaps, as Jesus says here, to a man who probably didn't count the cost, it may cost you somewhere to lay your head like it did the Lord Jesus. But disciples are willing to make that sacrifice in order to follow Jesus because they know he is worth it. Next, look with me at this text. It teaches us that following Jesus requires us to prioritize, to prioritize. Look with me at verse 59. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now again, we see the Lord Jesus giving his very simple, direct call that he gives to all people everywhere at all times, follow me. The same that he gave to Matthew, who was sitting at the tax booth, Imagine a man sitting there, he's been a tax collector all these years. Jesus walks up, says two words, he leaves everything. Follow me, he's gone. That same call is given to each and every one of us today. If you're here and you haven't ever decided to follow Jesus, you know what Jesus says to you today? Follow me. And if you're going through a difficult time and you're 
facing a trial and it's very dark and difficult, Jesus says, follow me. And if you've been walking with the Lord for 50 plus years, you know what Jesus says? Follow me. It's the same call no matter where we are in our life. But he also tells us that following him will require that we do something. We must prioritize him. It will always cost us to place Jesus first. Notice with me that this man in this text receives a personal call from the Lord Jesus himself to follow him. And he says, let me first go and bury my father. What's wrong with that response? Now we're quick to jump to the condition of this man's father. Commentators do this everywhere. You read a commentary on it, they'll say, well, we believe his father was dead and he was going to bury him. Or was he near death? Perhaps he was not even close to death. We don't know. The text does not tell us. Some commentators will go on to say that perhaps his father was near death and he just kind of wanted to wait it out so that he can get his inheritance. And that may be what's happening here. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But may I say, I don't even think that's the point of this text at all. If we're focusing on the condition of the father, we miss the whole point of why this is even in the scripture. Let me explain. The eternal son of God left the glories of heaven to live in complete poverty. The Bible says he's born in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. With a whole life devoted not to being served but to serving others, And not just serving good, righteous, godly people, because there aren't any of those, but serving sinful, rebellious people like me and like you. Those are the very people Jesus came to save. And now the text tells us he set his face to go to Jerusalem to be nailed to a cross and to give it all. And he turns to a guy on the way there and says, follow me. And he says, I have something else to do first. No. Following Jesus must always be first. Following Jesus requires us to prioritize. This is why Jesus responds to him in the way that he does in verse 60. Look at, look at it with me, please. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you... Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Is Jesus being harsh, unfair, inconsiderate? No. Jesus is teaching this man and all of us gathered around this text the same thing. Life is fleeting. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And the only thing that matters, the most important thing that matters is following Jesus, prioritizing him, doing what he commands. Now, Jesus commands us to honor our father and our mother. Did did everyone hear me say that? Mom and dad, if you're watching, I love you and I honor you. We love our parents, we honor our parents. 
But if my father, Walter Mitchell, who I respect and I love very much, says to me, go left, and Jesus Christ says, go right, there is no question which direction I'm going. I'm going right. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna prioritize him because that's what disciples do. In decision-making, in finances, in time management, in family dynamics, as we see here in this text, the Lord expects for us to put him first. And here's my question. Isn't he worth it? Yes, he is. So disciples prioritize Jesus above all because he is worth it. And notice with me that here in this text, Jesus tells him to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This is a word for us who've heard so much about discipling recently. We've, we've seen what discipling is and why we do it. We've seen who we can disciple and where, especially in our connect group ministry. And if you were here last week, anyone here last week by show of hands, you learned how. How do we go about doing it? We had a phenomenal message from Pastor Doug on how to go about doing it. But here's my question. How will you go and advance the kingdom of God in light of all of that information? How will you prioritize making disciples this year? What's standing in your way? Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Following Jesus is very costly, but he is so worth it. We've seen that it requires us to sacrifice, it requires us to prioritize, and finally here, following Jesus requires us to resolve. Look at verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Like the previous request, this one seems reasonable. It even harkens back to the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 19, we see a, an episode with the prophet Elijah and Elisha who would follow him. He is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and in verse 20, Elisha says, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. In verse 20, he says that, and in verse 21, Elijah permits him. He says, all right, go back again. And the Bible says that Elisha left from following him. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now with that context in mind, look with me again at verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus responds, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Behold, one greater than Elijah is here. Jesus requires greater commitment than the prophet Elijah does. And what does he mean? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. J.C. Ryle notes that the word translated fit here means well-placed or well-disposed. It, it implies that a man wanting to go back home is no more fit 
for discipleship than one plowing, looking back is fit to plow. You're looking away from where you're going. It shows that you're not resolved. This is why I turn your attention back to verse 51. Luke 9, 51. Look at it with me. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Strange language. He set his face. What does this mean? Luke here is hearkening back to a passage in Isaiah chapter 50. If you have your Bibles and would like to turn there. Isaiah 50, I'll read just verses six and seven. Luke is using language that Isaiah uses about Jesus before he comes. He's prophesying about Jesus. In verses six and seven, he says these words. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Jesus Christ is the one who set his face like a flint in the same way that flint a rock is hard, determined, Focus, that's what Jesus is in our passage. He set his face. He's resolved. And so this word from Jesus is a word to us that we must be fully committed if we will be followers of Jesus. David Garland gives helpful comments on this passage in Luke when he says, discipleship is not merely another commitment which we add to the long list of other commitments but it is the commitment. Demanding a reordering of our lives from the bottom up, these astonishing pronouncements from Jesus in Luke 9 confront each disciple with a choice, one that is focused exclusively on Jesus himself. Follow him at high cost or do not follow him at all. No explanations for the demands are given and there is no attempt at persuasion in light of the cost. He says Jesus Christ is not interested in spring break or summer vacation discipleship. It's all or nothing. Can I just be honest with you? I did not wanna preach this text because it's hard. In the same way that we don't wanna read texts like this because Jesus says hard words but what other kind of words are there for disciples? Jesus had a hard life. And if we're gonna literally follow him, we're gonna have to count the cost and do what he requires. But the good news is that he's always more than worth it. Jesus will go on to say to his disciples in another passage, who said, we left everything to follow you. Remember the rich young ruler passage? Anybody doing the daily reading, reading plan? Today was the rich young ruler who was not willing to pay the cost and the disciples say, man, we've left everything. What does Jesus say to them? No one who's left father or mother or wives or house, land, children, will be left out. You'll receive much more in this life and in eternal life, even more. 
And so disciples pay the cost by sacrificing to follow Jesus, prioritizing to follow Jesus, and resolving to follow Jesus no matter where he leads because he is more than worth it.